hot topic, how to election-proof your finances. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Brian, you know, I think it's no surprise that when people find out what we do for a living, specifically when it's in an election year, and specifically when it's in like a highly contested election year, which is, I don't know, every single election year that we have these days, they also want to say, hey, hey, uh, if this person does that, what's going to happen? Or, hey, what, what should I be doing to get ready? Or I think this person's going to win. Is it, should I go to cash or should I double down? I feel like I get those kind of questions all the time, especially when it's coming up to an election. Well, election years are always unique. And I think it goes even deeper. Think about our clients. Mm -hmm. We have clients in 42 states. You can imagine we have great cross-sections of all types. And we get a lot of calls on... And by the way, we've been doing this long enough. This is not our first election cycle. And I can tell you some of the biggest teachable moments I have experienced with clients is when they have called to make that emotional decision on doing something with their portfolio because of an election, Mm -hmm. and then the educational opportunity that comes up later after they realize maybe they landed on the wrong side of thinking about how to handle your finances with elections. So here's what we can't avoid. We can't avoid living in a world where there are elections, and we can't avoid living in a world where there is uncertainty around those elections. So what we want to talk about is as we go into this election, and every election in the future How can you prepare? What are the things you ought to be doing specifically to your portfolio to make sure that you are election-proof? So here's the first question that people ask us. Brian, Bo, are we headed towards a recession because of this election? That's the question. All the time. So give me the answer. Uh, Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe not. We don't know. And neither does anyone else. So let's actually go. I want to go a little deeper because this is something that we looked at. Bo, I got to pick on you. You started working for me in 2008. Great time to start managing money. What what was going on in 2008? Uh, The sky was falling from a financial perspective. It was a crazy downturn in the economy and happened to be a pretty big election year. Well, we were not as busy in 2008, we so we actually created, this is before we started calling them deliverables right. or, or go to moneyguy.com slash resources right. and download stuff. We didn't have any of that stuff, even though we did have the podcast. It started in 2006. I put Young Bo mm-hmm. working on a deliverable about elections and what that means to the market. Absolutely. Now, here's the cool thing. Fast forward to the year 2020. We're mm-hmm. in another election cycle. We gave the template that you created, Mm -hmm. your kind of backbone infrastructure to FTE Daniel, and he created a great research document for to let you see what has actually happened historically with all the presidents since the 70s -hmm. to now and the stock market, meaning the S&P 500. And in true FTE Daniel fashion, he did a much better job than I did. His looks a lot better. And this, I think, is so interesting. If you notice, since 1977, we've had Republican presidents, we've had Democratic presidents, we've had Republican Congresses, we've had Democratic Congresses, and it's really, really interesting. If you're, if you're out there listening in iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, you ought to go to YouTube to see this chart, because what we have outside of each president's term is just an overlay of the S&P 500 and what it has done 
since 1977 all the way through 2020. Well, what I think, if you take the visual, and I want to describe this kind of like a sportscaster does, so that they, so you that do not have the visual can understand, is that the first thing I notice is that there's a lot of green on this mm-hmm. slide. Because yep. what we have here is we have the total return as well as the annualized rate of return for every president since Jimmy Car- President Jimmy Carter, yep. the peanut farmer from Georgia. That's so right. So we have some affinity for mm-hmm. him. And, and here's what's interesting. Everybody has been green, meaning positive, except for President George W. Bush. Now, here's something I think is interesting, Bo, and I talked about this during show notes. Before we all feel sorry for President Bush, I think he has done the most baller thing that you could actually do. All right. He has tagged this graph. What, what do you mean he's tagged What I mean by that is if you look, what happened at the very beginning of George W. Bush's presidency? It was a dot-com bubble bursting, September 11th. So we had two yeah, big no, things yep. happen, and then right at the end of President Bush's term, we had the whole Great Recession, Great Recession of 2008. Yep. So if you look at this, and I tried to get Daniel to actually do this on this graph, he has, I, I, I couldn't believe it until I actually saw it, and once you see this, you'll never be able to take it off. He put a W right in the middle of the S&P 500 chart. Because if you notice, and this is the other thing I want you guys to notice, and this is going to be the theme of today's show. Yes, presidents matter. Yes, tax policy. Yes, spending of all government matters. But in the grand scheme of it, it looks like markets go up over the long term pretty good, whether it's a Democrat in office, whether it's a Republican in office. And we're going to go even deeper on that. And that probably is a great segue is because, look, there's several different scenarios you can approach. And wouldn't it be nice if there were some data points we sure. could put with this? Let's look at what, what does it look like just for Republican mm-hmm. presidents all the way through to 1789, yep. I believe. This is what we'd want. And what about Democrat presidents? What if we had a split Congress, meaning we had gridlock where you had a you know a Republican or Democrat president, and then you had Congress be something completely different, mm-hmm. or if you had just where they went in a sweep and it, they're all powerful. Now you were pretty quick on flipping that chart over, but what did we find from our research? This is what I think is really interesting. Like you said, if we go back to 1789, looking at some composites, whether it's the S and P 500 or the Dow Jones or the Cal's Index, overall performance on an annualized basis. Market made about 9.1%. That's the overall. Well, if you look at it, a Republican president versus a Democratic president in any of those years, it's either 8.6% or 8.8%. So really, really (laughs) close. Not a whole lot of difference. If you look at a Republican sweep versus a Democrat sweep, meaning uh, president as well as Congress in the same party, 8.6% versus 8.2%. And then what I think is really, really interesting, if you look at a divided Congress, Republican divided Congress or Democratic divided Congress, it's 8.7% or 10.9%. What I see here is, by and large, all those numbers kind of hover pretty close together. It's not like one of them's 12, 13% performance and the other's like 3 to 4% performance. They're all pretty consistent. Politics in general, are very emotional. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's good to have chart and charts and data like this because, guys, they let you step above and beyond just the, the raw emotionalism. And by the way, all the industries that are taking advantage of those emotions right now are on full alert. They're front and center. They're yep. in front of you. They're in your ears. They're in your eyes. You need to take a step back and realize what really drives economies and markets in the long term is corporate earnings. Mm-hmm. 
interest rates, just where the economy is in general with labor growth, productivity. Guys, this is what's important. And, and I'm thinking about it right here on the spot. Wish I'd have told FTE Daniel to put it. I have that great, we have that great chart that we had Daniel put together that basically shows how using, if you look at the financial markets over the long term, it visually looks like you're walking up an ever growing mountain with a yo-yo. Yep. For and sure. what I'm saying about that is that realize with a yo-yo, yes, you're throwing the yo-yo up and down in the short term, but as you walk up to higher and higher elevation, your portfolio will be better. And I'm going to close today's show out with something that will kind of take you outside of politics, outside of election cycles, and let you know what's really driving what's going on in your portfolio in the long term. So don't let the noise derail you from making good financial decisions. Okay, so we've talked about, all right, it, it doesn't, in the long term, doesn't matter so much whether it's Republican or Democrat. The party doesn't matter as much. And truthfully, that's not even something we can impact other than going out there and voting and being active in that sense. So if that's not something we can control and that's not something we can change, and realistically, that doesn't drive the markets, then maybe we should focus on what are those things that we can control? What are the things that are inside of our sphere of influence. Yeah. So that's kind of what we want to focus on. Instead of focusing on that, which we can't control, let's pay attention to those things that we can control. Yeah, after you've already made the decision on you're going to vote and you go vote, you really have no more control other than that. So let's talk about the things you can control that's outside the election cycle. And the first thing I think is important, Bo, is talking about basic portfolio structure and advice. And this is something, let me play off a scenario for you. We have received several calls. Mm -hmm. What's so funny is that we have received several calls in the last few weeks from different sides of the poli political the, avenue. Because, yep. no, you know, we make a very hard pass at trying not to interject politics on the show. Sure. We do that with clients. So I think a lot of times clients will come and share their concerns with us and they'll be on both sides Absolutely. of it. So it's funny when I think about that, what have we actually come across? Because what they're asking about is politics, but it's really better talked about when we're dealing with the difference in risk. That's right. We think about, instead of trying to focus on where we are in the election cycle, we really ought to focus on your individual risk tolerance and risk capacity. And I'm reminded, Brian, of two conversations we've had previously with clients that were on each side of the aisle, yep. just like you said. And what I think is so interesting is they called, and each one of them said the same thing, hey, if so-and-so, and their so-and-so changed, wins this election, I'm really, really nervous. I think that we're going to have problems. I think it's something we should be concerned about. I want to get your thoughts. I want to know how we should adjust. I want to know what we should change. And so we then had to ask the question, okay, do you want us to make a change because of the election? Or do you want us to make a change because of where you are in your financial life cycle? Because where you are from a risk capacity standpoint. Yeah, and that's a. I thought that was brilliant. I was in both of these meetings with you, and I was like, that is a great way to look at it, because that is the clients are typically calling for the short-term relief of yep. saying, should we go add more cash? Should we take more risk off the profile? And when you came back and you said, look, I'm willing to do this if your plan mm -hmm. calls for it. But if this is just because you want to check the box for the next four months because you're scared sure. about how things are going – we have a problem here, and that's really a risk tolerance, exactly what yep. you said, short-term issue, risk capacity, which is taking more of your financial plan into place. So let's talk about more of how portfolios should be a function of the other parts of your financial plan. Absolutely. It should be a function of 
where you are in your life cycle, what your specific tolerance for risk is, what the specific capacity for risk you can handle. If you're someone who's saying, hey, I want to make this adjustment, get to the election, see how it goes, and then I want to go back, you're probably not making a solid long-term fundamental decision. If you want to make an adjustment, that's fine, but make it because it's a long-term adjustment, not a short-term adjustment. Well, I think it's 2020. I mean, if you want to look for a silver lining in, in dealing with the, the pandemic that we're in, there is a big silver lining in sure. the fact that we had March happen. We had the markets get beat up in a very short mm -hmm. period of time. And then guess what? They've actually had their V-shaped recovery. Yep. Now, it remains to be seen. Do we stay in a V or are we going to let, you know, President Bush is going to get another W put <laughs> on the scoreboard? I mean, it is one of those things nobody knows, but this is the perfect opportunity that if you went through March through June, through July, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how bad the market mm -hmm. was in March that it was causing me sleepless nights. Thank goodness we have recovered. Use this moment to really reflect upon what is your why with your asset allocation? What is your why on what you're doing with your personal finances? And make sure that your asset allocation reflects that. If you did get very nervous during March and April, you might need to take this reset opportunity where the market has recovered the majority of it and go ahead and get that portfolio to reflect what you really need, desire and need. Now, look, th this is a hot take, all right? And this is going to be a little controversial. 2020 has been a great year. And this is why 2020 has been a great year. It's allowed us to see a market cycle much more quickly than we have previously. Again, if you look at the chart, from the S&P 500 dropped almost 34% from February 19th through March 23rd, which was a period of only 24 trading days. But if you go from March 23rd all the way through September 4th, it's increased 53.2%. Most often when we see a downturn and we get nervous, and we get uncomfortable, we aren't given the benefit of having the market come all the way back for us to make an adjustment. A lot of folks make a bad decision at the bottom. So if you were someone who was, just like you said, in the first and second quarter thinking, oh no, what have I done? This doesn't feel right. You have a great chance right now, not because of the election, but because of where the market has moved to, to reassess where you are on the risk spectrum, where you are in your portfolio. We aren't often given that chance. It's a pretty unique opportunity in 2020. Yeah, it does. It definitely gives you a measure twice, cut once on the risk profile. You can take into account years to retirement. Yep. And how much liquidity? I mean, if you found that you were scared where your next dollar was going to come mm -hmm. from, use this as an opportunity Absolutely. to make sure you have the appropriate cash reserves. All of this, I mean, look, if you take into account everything that has happened in 2020, we really have packed a lot into yep. this year. And it is a great chance for you to go look at risk management. Sure. We've already talked about risk tolerance, risk capacity. What about disability insurance? Mm -hmm. What about job security? You're probably having more thoughts on that. Um, household income sources, retirement income sources in the future. All these things have come into play in 2020. This is the time to make sure that they reflect your why and you have a financial plan that actually is, you know, instead of is very proactive towards this stuff instead of waiting for the next bad thing to happen and you react to everything. Because that is the wrong time yep. to make adjustments in your plan. You need to be proactive. You need to be on offense with making sure your financial plan is right. So if you were someone who didn't need to make an adjustment, did feel okay going through that. It's really, really interesting to see where we are now. Again, the market dropped 34% and then it made back 53%. Well, if you look at it, as of September 4th, 
the index is up about 40 points from its high in February, about 1.2% or year to date, up about 6%. So even though it's been this crazy walk, if you stayed the course, and if you were someone who was dollar cost averaging into the market, and if you were someone who took advantage of strategies like tax loss harvesting, instead of trying to tweak your allocation at the bottom, then you are probably sitting in a fine place right now. That should just be a reminder that even though things may be crazy going on around you, if you have a good plan in place, that plan is good before the craziness happens, it's good during the craziness, and if you can stay the course, it will be good after the craziness. A lot of times when you have chaos around you, you should just stand still. That's exactly right. I mean, it is that is so powerful if you can just understand that. So let's let's talk about something you can control. And I want to kind of talk about how should you handle your portfolio? And you guys know we love doing by age series. Yeah, because it changes, right? Well, I mean, that's that's the thing. That has become if you go look at our most popular videos, is because we have become known as the guys that will lay out. We don't give you all cookie cutter, one size fits all type portfolio analysis. We don't give you financial planning for just all the way through. We actually make adjustments by mm -hmm. age. Sure. So we want to talk about how should you handle your portfolio by age. So here's the first one. How millennials should election proof their finances? All right. So if you are that person that falls into the millennial category, and I don't even remember the ages now, but this is folks in like their 20s and 30s, right? That's millennial. Does that sound right? And you're probably thinking, oh man, I'm, I got I to gotta do something, right? I, this, this election, whether it goes uh, left or right or whatever, I got to do something, right? We want to equip you to know what you should be doing and how you should get your portfolio ready. So we did this by the age, and we put millennials in here. And Bo, I want to give you a compliment. Because oh, I, I feel like I do fall prey. Maybe it's because I'm getting older and all the people you know you hang out with. You do a good job. I don't think you, you're kind of like a duck with water <laughs> when it comes to politics. Sure. You just don't. Cause, and I think that is the healthiest thing because here's the first question I think millennials should ask themselves. Does this election even matter to you? I mean, in, in a lot of ways, financially, now I'm not talking about all the issues sure. and so forth, but financially, does this election even matter to you? Absolutely. Will it have a meaningful impact? If you're someone in your 20s and 30s and you're thinking about a portfolio that's going to last you into your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, does what's happening this November, this election, should it even be something from a portfolio standpoint that's occupying your brain space? My thought is no. Well, I think that we need to give a little more clarifying because I do want people to be active in their lives. Sure. But here's the thing. Financially, you're 30, 40, maybe even 50 years from pulling some of these assets out. You're going to see a lot of elections. There's going to be a lot more presidents in your future, a lot more Congresses in your future. And you know what's more important is the stuff you can control. And what I'm thinking about here is, first of all, Let's talk about how much are you saving? I mean, when we talk about army of dollar bills and we talk about 88 times over and the power of compounding interest, you need to focus on not where you're putting the money, but how you get more money saved. And then we talk about if you want to know where to put it, we like target retirement, index target retirement funds because they're much yep. cheaper with the vanguards, the fidelities. But that's the stuff you can control is how much should I be saving? Absolutely. That should be the number one question you're asking yourself. And if you want to get excited about it, you want to get motivated by that, 
Go to our website, go to moneyguy.com slash resources. Go look at our deliverable called How Powerful Are My Dollars? And it will blow your mind. When you see that for a 20-year-old, $1 can turn into $88 by the time you get to retirement. We always tell young folks that the most important money you ever save is the first money you save. It's amazing that that $50 to $100 that you start saving when you're in your 20s can be way more powerful than the thousands of dollars you save in your 50s because of how powerful compounding interest can be. So the very first question is, how much can I save and how do I save just a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, you just... I've used this as a great coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. If I look at somebody and look, we all get green with envy. It's not a it's not a good thing. But I, when you look at somebody and you go, man, I wish I, I had what they had. Mm-hmm. I want you to ask yourself, if you did it right, you likely will have more than sure. they have if you're starting out young enough. Yep. And that leads to the next thing, because a lot of you guys are just discovering the Money Guy show. You're like, well, where do I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with my mm-hmm. money. Don't worry. We have you covered. You already heard Bo talk about with the multiplier slide on our resource page. You've got a moneyguy.com slash resources. We also have a deliverable called Financial Order of Operations. This is completely free. We have a nine-step process, Financial Order of Operations, that will let you know what you should do. And look, if you get if you look at this free deliverable, and you go, I need even more than this. We do have a course. Absolutely. I mean, it is something that should accelerate the process. But first, go check out the free resource. And I think that will answer a lot of questions. And if you'll respect the foo, just like math has, you know, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally yep. with having an order of operations. We have found out that finances have the same thing. Respect the foo and keep yourself on track. So I think for millennials, when you're thinking about the election, it shouldn't occupy a ton of brain space. Your mind ought to be focused on other things that are going to have a much more meaningful impact on your long-term financial life. So millennials, it's more about their behavior, building good habits. Let's talk about something that I resemble. Okay. Generation X. How should Gen X election-proof their finances? Now, this this gets a little more complicated. Mm -hmm. Here's why. You're older. And this is a, this comes from some great counseling I received after being married a few years. Is that guys, you have to control that inner voice. Yeah. We all have it. You know, it's that voice while you're in the shower, you're shampooing your hair, and you can either wake up the day and you can have a glass half full optimistic mentality, or you can have a glass half empty and go, man, the world is working against me. I mean, this is the voice that's in all of our heads. You need to ask yourself. What is that inner voice saying to me right now? What I think is so interesting, Brian, is I've been hanging out with you for a long time now. When we first started hanging out, you were the age of a millennial. Now, you were still a Gen Xer because that's the way that it works. But I've seen how your mindset has shifted from being the age of a millennial to now being the age of an Xer. And it is true, that inner voice, you find that you're more impacted, more affected by things now. You're more upset about this thing or that thing than you previously were. And it's okay to do that. It's okay to have more passion, okay to have more thoughts on these subjects, so long as you don't let that emotion cause you to make negative or destructive financial decisions. Well, and I think it's, look, when you're a millennial, you can say, you can ask yourself with the inner voice, how much can I save? Look at it from that standpoint of, I'm going to go out there and attack. When you get to this age, because you're now at, at, really, you're at that hump where if you haven't done the right steps in your 40s, you might be in trouble when you're in your 50s and 60s. So you need to ask yourself, 
am I saving what I'm supposed to be saving sure. at this stage to get to where I want to, where the destination is? What am I doing to reach and accomplish those goals? That is so much more important. And then I think it's so important that you can even talk about, am I even on track? Yep, absolutely. Uh, I think one of the things that we talk about are, what are some of the metrics that we can use to assess whether or not when we are in our 40s or getting into our 50s, am I on track? Because the two biggest questions people always ask us is, am I on track and where am I headed? How do I know if I'm moving in the right direction? Am I on the curve? Am I behind the curve? Am I ahead of the curve? Do I not even know where the curve is? Well, one of the things with us, we want to equip you with some tools that you can use, some very easy back-of-the-napkin math you can do to figure out, am I where I'm supposed to be? So it's cool when we talk about am I on track because we have put together some pretty good resources. And here's what I think is interesting. This is, um, you know, you guys know, I'm a big fan, Millionaire Next Door. Huge fan. I mean, it's up here, right next to it. I didn't write it. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, we, we, we proudly display Dr. Stanley's book, Front and Center, because it was the book that 1996 put me in a completely different orbit of where I was going with my future. Yep. So I give it a lot of credit. And one of the things I loved about Millionaire Next Door is it had a formula in there. And this formula is pretty simple. All you have to do is you have to multiply your age mm-hmm. times your income and then divide that number by 10. Now, look, when I did that and I got the book and I was in my early 20s, I was pretty upset. Cause, and, and that's just to be an average accumulator of wealth, right? Yeah. He even talks about in the book, if you want to be prodigious, you got to be double that number. You got to be two times that number. Now, there's a problem with this formula, but Bo is nerdy enough that he fixed it. <laughs> Is that I think for anybody under 40 years of age, the millionaire next door formula doesn't take into account that you're so young, you haven't had enough time for your army of dollar bills to work, plus your income is doing all kind of crazy things Mm -hmm. while you're in your 20s and 30s. So here's what I would encourage you to do, is you still use the same formula. It's your age times income, but your denominator, your divisor, what you're going to divide by is actually going to be... 10 plus how many years until you reach age 40. So let me give you an example. Sure. You're 25 years of age. Yep. You're 15 years from 40. You go add that 15 to the 10. So you'll actually divide your age times your income divided by 25. It's a much more realistic metric. And what we want is we want our folks that are in their 20s or in their 30s or in their late 30s to not get discouraged, not think, oh, well, I'm never going to be there. This actually gives you credit for not having the time to build up to get there. But Once you cross over 40, just like you don't get the grace of am I saving enough, of how much should I be saving, it's am I saving enough, you don't get the grace of the age anymore. You do have to make sure you are hitting this average to prodigious accumulator of wealth multiple. So that leads to, because once you know what is a prodigious Mm -hmm. accumulator, you know where you are on track for that. The second part is, do you know what your burn rate is? This one I'm always amazed by because this is one of the very first questions I always ask prospects in the call. Like, hey, how much does it take to run your house month to month? And I'm amazed when folks are like, oh, I I, I don't know. Because a lot of folks don't like tracking. They don't want to budget. They don't want to use the apps. And that's okay. You don't have to. But you really ought to know what it costs to run your household. So a really easy thing that you can do, and look, this isn't scientific, but it gets you pretty darn close. Go pull last year's tax return. Take out what you paid in taxes, take out what you saved, 
Whatever's left over is probably what you spent. Divide that by 12. That'll give you a really good idea of what your burn, monthly burn rate is. Yeah, I would. I, I want you to be proactive on this. I think it is. It's so hard to have a plan to know what you need for the future if you don't even know what your actual month, monthly right. need is. So if you are one of these people and you're watching this or you're listening to it and you hear when I use the term burn rate and you don't know what your monthly expenses are, what are you working towards? Mm-hmm. You need to probably have that number figured out so you can appropriately plan for the future. So and then so we've answered the question of okay, where am I? Am I on track, right? That's what the millionaire next door formula does. Well, then the next question I want to ask is what am I working towards? Cuz that formula just kind of says where you're supposed to be today. If you want to have an idea of where should I be when I get to financial independence or what's that if you remember the old Fidelity commercial where like they were walking around and they had the magic number floating over I think their that was, head? I, was that I, ING, I think, was actually. You remember doing that, that commercial? I think it was ING <laughs> that had the thing that was floating <laughs> over their head. Well, a real easy thing you can do is you can just take that burn rate that you just calculated, that monthly spend amount, annualize it, and then multiply that by 25 times. Because your goal by the time you get to financial independence should be 25 times your annual living expenses. If you want to feel real froggy, you can look for 25 times your income. But realistically, we don't spend all of our income because we save a portion, we pay taxes. So if you know that burn rate, if you know that expense number, that will give you a really good idea of what that number you're building to is. Now, I know we're not doing this show live, but even when I'm not doing this live, I make mistakes, Bo. And I blew past the another part that we think that Gen Xers ought to think sure. about. And that's making sure you have risk cover. Oh, that's a huge I one. mean, because this yep. is, I, I'd be remiss if we went through the trackers and didn't talk about the risk because here's where I'm talking about asset allocation. Now, why is this important? Like I said, you are getting to your stage. I'm in my late 40s. I know retirement is just over the hill in the next two decades or sure. so. So it's important. And this is why I like index target retirement mm-hmm. funds because realize these things have what's called a glide path. They're very aggressive when you're younger and then every year they get a little more conservative, but there will come a time where you're going to want more customization. Yep. You will graduate past these, these the needs of these things because you're going to want more customization on your ability to give away appreciated sure. securities. You want to be able to harvest losses Absolutely. within your taxable account. You want to be able to do focus more on asset location where you'll want to put your bond-type holdings into your retirement accounts because they pay at ordinary income tax. You want to put your hyper-growth-type things in your Roth IRAs, and then you want to put your dividend-paying, your capital gains, as well as your liquidity access in case you need it in those taxable accounts. All that is hard to do when you're buying one type of thing. So it probably is when you get to that Gen X status that you are thinking more how do you graduate past index target retirement funds? And I think another interesting thing about Gen Xers is, you know, when, when you're in your, your 20s and 30s, you think, okay, well, if this person gets elected and they screw this whole thing up, I've still got time. Well, when you're in your 40s and approaching your 50s, you might think, hey, I don't have as much time. If this person gets in office and screws it all up, that's going to really hurt me. Well, one of the ways you can make sure you protect against that is appropriate risk management. Do you have an emergency fund in place that actually covers three to six months of your living expenses? Do you have the appropriate life insurance, disability insurance? Do you have the appropriate estate documents? If you can make sure that you have all those boxes checked, it's going to be one less piece of that inner voice that's going to start freaking you out and scaring you into making less than ideal financial decisions. Well, I I think, because I have gotten this call from people from all stages of my life, even people when I lived in Georgia, mm-hmm. they've reached out to me and they say, Brian, I'm nervous. And mm-hmm. I say, well, look, before you go blowing up your retirement accounts, before you go 
switching everything up in the investments sure. on your asset allocation. I said, how are you doing on your cash reserves? Because everything you're telling me is really, you're fearful about three to four months. Well, I can I can take that off the table if you tell me you've got yep. good, adequate cash reserves. And it, so if you don't have that box checked, go look at it. And that way you don't, because that's the whole big part of planning ahead. No matter where you are on the political spectrum, if you have enough cash reserves that nothing's going to catch you off guard, whether it's a medical emergency, whether it's something goes wrong financially in the markets, you're not going to be as emotional. You're going to be able to handle it. I mean, here's a little dirty little secret of investment management. The bigger, more sophisticated your person is, probably the less they worry about these short-term sure. things. Because yep. I do think that you don't panic as much when you know you have the basics covered. And that's why I'm telling you, if you can go through that financial order of operations and make sure you have cash reserves and those short-term issues covered, you won't panic so much where you make a reactionary, emotional decision that derails your financial life. All right. So, Brian, we've talked about the millennials and said, you know, they probably shouldn't worry about it all that much. And then Gen Xers, they say they probably shouldn't worry about it so much, but the inner voice causes them to worry about it. But then there's the next generation. Then there are the boomers. And I think that these are the ones... By the way, I call them baby boomers. Um, these are the baby boomers. I mean, but I've been called a boomer. My daughter uses that term when they're totally trying to make somebody who's even older than me, but they group <laughs> me in there somehow. Like, way to go, boomer, or something like that. It's become a derogatory thing. So, you know, I just want you guys to know, I called it baby boomer. <laughs> Bo was the one that said the word boomer. All right, so these these are the folks who are starting to think, oh, okay, now if my, if if the if the extras didn't have time to recover from something crazy, I really don't have time to cover. So surely millennials don't need to be making a lot of changes. Extras don't need to change. That. Surely I, as a boomer, need to be making changes. Right? Well, baby boomers are retiring. Mm -hmm. I mean, they this is the this they, they're not in the batter's box anymore. They've actually stepped up to the plate. Yep. This, is, this is game time. So I will tell you, if you're one of these people that is quickly approaching retirement or at that threshold, you better be stress testing your portfolio Absolutely. to make sure you do have it appropriately reflect what is needed for the long term. You know, it's so easy to do that. that that's the part when we talk about the abundance cycle and graduating. I had somebody give us a negative comment. It said, all you do is talk about accumulation. I'm like, yeah, on the YouTube channel, yeah. but if you actually work with us, we work with clients 42 states. This is exactly what yep. we help people. This is what you're supposed to graduate to the next level so we can add that sophistication. Because guess what? Guys, I can't give you one size fits all for every 40 to 65-year-old on what their allocation looks like, what they should be doing, because every one of you are different. You live in different states. You have different risk profiles. You have different incomes. You have different asset accumulation levels within all the different yep. accounts. We can't do content that covers all of that. It's much easier to get you excited about saving. Don't skip the rest of the abundance cycle. If we get you to that level of success, that's where, and then don't get mad at us because you're not willing to take it to the next level. So I think one of the things that uh, people always say is, well, you know, I, I can't control what happens in the year I retire. I mean, the biggest risk is what happens if I retire and 2008 happens. And you're right, that that is a very real risk that exists. So one of the things we think you ought to do is you ought to stress test the portfolio before you step away from the workforce. If you're not running through Monte Carlo simulations and if you're not saying, okay, what happens if I retire and the bottom falls out? 
then you're not probably not asking the right questions just yet. Because one of the things we try to tell our clients when they retire is, hey, even if you retire at the world's worst time and this happens, because of the planning in place, because of the way you've built your portfolio, because of the steps you've taken, you're going to be okay. You can weather a worst case scenario because we've stress tested it. So you want to make sure you know that you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah, this is when you definitely better be sharpening up that plan to make sure it reflects everything because, and this it's not just all the analytics either, sure. though, because I think this is a key part. If you want to be successful in retirement, make sure you have the life that you've always planned for. Make sure you're spending some time on those soft questions. Oh, it's huge. I mean, because this, this is a big thing. I want you to know what you're retiring to, not just what you're retiring from, yep. because I think that is a big, big mistake that a lot of people make. You know, we have done shows with um, Fritz from the Retirement Manifesto. Sure. There's a lot of talent and a lot of time that you need to spend and resources on making sure you know exactly where you're going in retirement. And, and have the other question to ask is, have I made the appropriate shift, the appropriate adjustment, as I prepare, prepare to move from accumulation to decumulation of my risk to non-risk assets? And a big piece of that is, do I have the appropriate emergency reserves? If I know that I've got 18 to 24 to 36 months of living expenses in cash, I don't care what the market does in the next one, two, three years because I know that I have enough risk off assets to cover my living expenses to give the market time to do what we just saw on the slide at the beginning, what it does. It's going to recover. It's going to come back. You just want to make sure you have enough time that you can let your assets recover and come back. Well, and I think that you just said something that's a key point. While you're an accumulator, it's very common that your cash reserves is three to six months. Mm -hmm. However, once you're living off of that money, once your assets have become your pension, because yep. that's what more and more people, when we get a brand new retiree, they go, how am I going to get this money? I'm like, how did you get paid each month? They're like, well, I got a check on the 15th and I got a check on the 30th. I'm like, that's the way it'll I'm work in retirement. We're going to set up an automatic transfer either once a month, twice a month. You tell us how you want it. And we're going to do a Burger King style you your, have way. It your way. I mean, it is definitely the way we structure things, but there is a key adjustment. Instead of three to six months cash reserves, it's not uncommon once you live off this money that you start having 18 to 36 months sure. of cash reserves. Because what you don't want to have happen is you want to have enough time to be able to pass with whoever, wherever we are in the economic market cycle that you have liquidity and you're not selling assets at the world's worst time. Yep. So if you are in this stage of life, it's not bad to make adjustments. It's actually appropriate to make adjustments. That's how you know you're doing what you're supposed to doing. But you want to make sure that you're making plan-driven financial decisions, not emotional financial decisions. Yeah, I mean, realistically, the election should not impact your financial decisions. That's right. Now, there might be some short-term ripples from sure. this, but it does not mean that you necessarily need to do an apple cart turnover if the plan was good. Because we say it all the time. We do a lot of investment commentary, and we say if your plan was good before this, yep. it was good during this, and it's going to be good after this if we've done it right. That's so exactly just make right. sure that you do have the right plan. So it, it, it's really an all-weather type structure and not just set up for, for sunny days. So hopefully uh, you're someone out there, whether you are early on in your career or later on in your career, or getting ready, to, you've kind of seen, okay, here are the things that we should do to election-proof our finances. Should something uncertain or scary or bad or negative come our way, but perhaps there's more to the story. Perhaps it's not all, oh no, pending scary election stuff 
Maybe there's something else we ought to be thinking of. Well, I wanted to close this show. Two things. We're going to close it next with some some planning things. But I wanted to give you an optimistic outlook towards the future so you too can leave this being an optimist. And I have set this up horribly because if I had to do this all over again, we would slap up there that that illustration that FTE Daniel did that had all the presidents, had Mm -hmm. the S&P 500, and here's what you saw. Markets go up. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter who's president, markets go up. So then you have to ask yourself, why? Why do markets go up? And that made me think of something we've covered this on a show, but I love Spaceship Earth at Epcot. And I had Daniel. (laughs) Hard left I had Daniel. Put together something, because I want you to see inside my crazy brain, my crazy dyslexic brain, so you could figure out how you too can harness this power. And this is the way it works on Spaceship Earth. You realize how slow humans have evolved. Uh I mean, we are, look at that. What what, what do we have there? We got some pyramids? We got some paper? We got papyrus in 3000 BC. We got some pyramids in 2500 BC. So wait a minute. That's that's BC. That's BC. Now what happened between BC and 1000? It looks like nothing. Not a whole lot took place. We're just hanging out reading some paper and writing. You know why? It's because we're transcribing everything. (laughs) It takes a lot to write at that point. All right. So then we keep going. Uh, And then in 1440, we have the printing press is invented. Uh, and then we have the cotton gin in 1793. So we've covered a lot of time, not a whole lot of technical innovation taking place, right? And then we turn the century. Oh, look and at that! Changes. And then look what happened. I want you guys to think about. We've gone from. I mean, and my daughter is a junior in high school, and she's studying kind of the industrialization of America. Sure. And I think of that history, the, men the, that the built history America. channel, the yeah. men who built America. And you think about Henry Ford, you think about all the, the big innovations, Vanderbilt, Rockefeller, uh-huh. and all the stuff that, that, that's going on. And then look at this, guys. I mean, we go from automotive, adding cars, adding flight, adding radio, adding TV, putting a man on the moon, computers, World Wide Web, cell phones, now we have Teslas and electric cars. That's not a part of the, the, the Disney that's ride. That's not in the Disney the ride. No, that's, that's, that's very Brian. That's the Brian Preston but, ride. But it is, I want you guys to know, here's, here's the thing. I talk about, and you've, you've read this, talk about Moore's Law. And mm-hmm. Moore's Law, for those that don't know, is that there was this phenomenon that people noticed that transistors every two years were doubling. So essentially computer capacity and, and the 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 affordability of computers was getting better every year. Well, one day I was like, you know what? I feel like that is what's going on with innovation in general. It's not just limited to transistors and microchips. I feel like everything is accelerating. So I pitched this in a show meeting and then Daniel goes, oh yeah, that's um, law of accelerating returns. And I was like, (laughs) law of accelerating returns. And sure enough, Daniel goes and pulls the information because I'm not the only one that came up with, with this idea is that this is something that's going on, guys. If you think that things are moving fast, you can't even fathom. I mean, if you look at that chart, and like I said, we've set this up horribly. The rise of what happened to the financial markets while we had President Bill Clinton in place Mm -hmm. looked like it was going to blow your mind. Sure. And you're like, well, this has got to be the best time ever is because we've got the World Wide Web and and everything that's going on there. And then you, 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 you fast forward under President Obama and President Trump before we hit this pandemic, 
And you're like, holy cow, it kind of eclipses mm-hmm. what happened under President Clinton. And guys, this is innovation. You think about all the things that are going on right now. Look, we have people in the medical space. And you think about what they're working on, even in this pandemic with vaccines. Mm-hmm. Do you see how fast things it's are moving? moving? a lot quicker I mean, than things previously. are moving so much faster than any other time in history. It's not going to stop. I mean, while I'm doing this, the creepy robots that are around us. My phone on my watch is ringing. We had, by the way, while we were doing this show, we have, and I hate to say its name because it'll wake up and listen, but it's the Amazon listening device. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll, we'll call your phone. Yeah. I don't, it volunteered to do that, which was really creepy. This is not slowing down. Look, this show started. It's right behind me. That is my actual iPod that I bought in 2005. I did this show and started in 2006 as one of the original podcasts. And look at us. We've even evolved where we have a studio full of cameras. This is picking up speed. So make sure you don't look at the world glass half empty. There's a lot more good stuff that's coming. As long as we don't invent Skynet, we're going to be golden. So you can't even plan for that. So just be positive and know that things will be better no matter who's president, no matter who's in Congress. I think, just I believe, and I'm betting on humanity. I think that we have more exciting times ahead than behind. I think that we're going to see a lot of innovation continue. And I think that so long as we live in that world where that's happening, folks who are willing to give up a little bit of today and they're willing to invest in that innovation, that are willing to defer gratification, they're willing to make those types of financial decisions, they're going to be rewarded for that long term. So I did want to close out with three key points. Okay. This is how to kind of election-proof your financial life. These are, these are some of the big takeaways. You need to have a plan. Don't be reactionary. Go ahead and be proactive. Have a plan. <laughs> I hate to keep coming back to it, but this free resource right here, if you'll go to moneyguy.com slash resources, the financial order of operations is going to help you out tremendously. So respect the foo. And I'll even throw out there, if you want more than just the free resource, do a deep dive. Go buy the course, learn.moneyguy.com. It'll take you even a step further than just the free resource. And then the second thing, know your emotional blind spots and trigger points. Mm-hmm. This is a big one. You know, if you know watching the nightly news, because there's so much noise out there, there's so many people that are trying to keep your eyeballs, your ears, and those type of things engaged so they can sell advertising, and they know that fear is a big driving factor in that, maybe you don't need to watch those shows. Take that off the table if you know it stresses you out and causes you to react instead of have a plan. And then the third thing, take time. This is an important one. Just like I was talking about, those soft emotional things that you need to nurture your spirit, you need to nurture your outlook. Take time to inventory the good stuff in your life. Make sure you're focusing on family, friends, and then those ever-expanding and those blossoming memories that you can build for yourself in your future. That's what you ought to be spending your time on. I know it's easier said than done, but if you will follow everything we covered in today's show, I think we can all look back six months from now and go, we made it through it. Absolutely. We, we don't know what this election or any election is going to hold. We don't know when dark clouds are going to come, but here's what we're committed to. We're going to keep doing this show. We're going to keep putting great information in your hands, in front of you. If you haven't had a chance to go to our website, go to moneyguide.com resources. It is all available out there for free for you to help you take your finances to the next level. Man, I love you. You even closed it out with some abundance cycle. Work with clients in 42 states. If you feel like you need to take your relationship to the next level because you graduated the abundance cycle, don't forget the Money Guy team and Abound Wealth. I'm your host, Brian Preston. 
Mr. Bo Hansen. Don't forget to subscribe. We just crossed 80,000. Can you believe that? I mean, it feels like we were just at 70. I mean, this thing's moving. So if we're going to reach 100,000 by year end, I need you guys to subscribe. So go check it out. Moneyguy.com. Go to YouTube. Go to iTunes. Go to Spotify. And make sure you're going and taking advantage of the free stuff at moneyguy.com slash resources. I'm your host, Brian Preston. We're out. The Money Guy Show is hosted by Brian Preston. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through The Money Guy Show. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.